Welcome to the weekly podcast of Covenant Grace Church. We're currently teaching through the Gospel of John. Covenant Grace Church is one church meeting in multiple locations. This message was recorded at our Menifee campus. John 10, and we're going to be in verses 1 through 18. First one. Truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door, but climbs in by another way, that man is a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is a shepherd of the sheep. To him the gatekeeper opens. The sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought out all his own, he goes before them, and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. A stranger they will not follow, but they will flee from him, for they do not know the voice of strangers. Verse 6. The figure, this figure of speech Jesus used with them, but they did not understand what he was saying to them. So Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. Verse 10. The thieves come only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd, who, do, who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees, and the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my own, and my own know me. Just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father, and I lay down my life for my sheep. And I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also, and they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock, one shepherd. For this reason, the Father loves me, because I lay down my life, that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it up again. This charge I have received from my Father. And this is the word of the Lord. So uh, today's passage is a really cool and, and, and really simple passage about the Lord being a good shepherd. And uh, I was really encouraged by it this week. Um, hopefully we can, we can spend some time and, and dig into what that means in our lives. Uh, let me pray as we get started. Lord, I stand here with my brothers and sisters dependent upon you, and dependent upon your spirit, and expecting for you to be here with us. Uh, Lord, I pray that you would just be in this time, uh, Lord, that you would be filtering my mind uh, just with the the things that you would have uh, to encourage us. Uh, Lord, that your word is alive, that your word is a tool that speaks into our lives, Lord, just part of the equipping that you have, have put before us, put, put before us and, and made available. And Lord, I pray as, as we look at something that is so core to, to our faith, uh, Lord, that you would just 
just lift our countenance, Lord. Lift our hearts, Lord, that we would be able to see, just as, as the man who was uh, healed, who was born blind last week in chapter 9, Lord, as, as he was just opened up and, and could see clearly, and it was just immediately called to worship and, and, and just reaching out to you, Lord. And, and I pray that that would be the result of our time in your word today. And we ask these things in the name of your son. Amen. Um, some of you guys may not know, uh, my wife was a missionary in the Ukraine for uh, about seven years. And at some point, uh, she was there and she was walking down this road and there was a sheep tied to the fence. And she was just kind of walking and, and the sheep was just standing there. And as she was walking, you know, the sheep didn't really pay any mind to her but all of a sudden it kind of perked up and it started like jumping, like, I mean, like going nuts. And, and the shepherd was coming and, and it, it heard the shepherd coming, it knew it was coming and it was just excited. And uh, I think as, as I was looking at this passage this week and preparing and uh, I'll tell you guys, the, the thing that has happened more in my heart than anything else uh, is, is just loving sheep. It's so weird, like, they're so cool. I mean, I, we hear these, like, bad things about them. We'll, we'll talk about it later, but uh, it's just so cool. They, they really love the shepherd, and, and the shepherd really loves them. Uh, the relationship between the shepherd and the sheep is a metaphor that we see in Scripture 250 times, almost 250 times. It's, it's, it's constantly used. We see uh, verses like Isaiah 40, and, uh, or verses like Isaiah chapter 40, verse 11, it says, he will tend his flock like a shepherd. He will gather the lambs in his arms and he will carry them in his bosom and gently lead those that are with young. And, and this passage, it gives us insight into the character of God, who he is and, and how he thinks about us and his relationship with us. And, and I think of you know, him tending the flock, he's gathering the lambs in his arm and it's this great care and comfort that, that he's giving to the flock. Uh, Revelation 7, 17 says, For the lamb in the midst of the throne will be their shepherd, and he will guide them to springs of living water, and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. And again, we see this comfort of him wiping away the tears and that he cares about our hurts. He doesn't just ignore them, but he, he comes in and he wants to give that comfort. But we also see provision, right? He's leading us, he's guiding us to these springs of living water. Uh, Psalm 23 is probably one of the best-known examples, right? The uh, Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. And even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. What I love about this passage is, that it's, it's so clear that God is directing, right? I mean, the, the rod and the staff kind of guiding the sheep, but it's also so much about his dependability, that when we do come to moments of, you know, walking through that valley of the shadow of death, when we come to these trials in our life, that we don't have to fear that he's left, that we can depend on him, that he's there, and, and that we don't have to fear the evil because he is with us, and that, that direction gives us comfort. John 10 is right in line with this consistent biblical metaphor. Jesus paints us a picture of a shepherd 
and tells us how a good shepherd takes care of the flock, right? Uh, if you guys look back in, in your Bibles in, in verse 2 and 3 and 14, we see that the shepherd knows his sheep. If we look at verse 4, we see that he leads the sheep. He goes before them. In verse 10, he's providing for his sheep. In verse 12, he's protecting his sheep. So in part, today's passage is the familiar and very comforting theme of a shepherd taking care of his sheep. <laughs> Sorry. Sorry, Lord, I, I thought I was accurate. <laughs> Uh, but it's also a response to the specific situation, right? So if we, or it's also a response to a specific situation. If we think back to last week, chapter 9, we have, uh, Jesus is coming out of the temple, if I recall, uh, or, or, you know, kind of coming through, and he's walking and he sees a man who was born blind. And the immediate thing that happens is his disciples, and I want you guys to remember, his disciples said, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? So Jesus corrects their distorted view of sin. He says, it was not that this man sinned or his parents, but that the works of God might be displayed in him. The Pharisees' teaching, the, the teaching of the time, had ingrained itself so much into the society that even the disciples of Jesus, who were, were open to the truth and looking for the truth, erred on this kind of personal sin being the, uh, the their sickness being the result of personal sin rather than the fact that it was the result of sin entering through the world from Adam back in Genesis, right? Sickness is, is just kind of here. It's a result of sin, but just because you're sick or you're blind does not mean that there was some personal sin, some personal familial sin that caused that sickness. The Pharisees also demonstrate this belief in their actions throughout the chapter, right? They call Jesus a sinner because he's healing people on the Sabbath. Jesus isn't following their moral code because he's working or healing people on the Sabbath. But they also call the man who was blind an utter sinner, and they use the evidence that he was blind as proof for that. So their belief is causing these actions. And the Pharisees, 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 justify their position of authority through prescribed morality, and that's why they're acting this way. They're saying, we deserve to be here because we're moral. Like, we are in authority because we're moral, and we follow this moral code, and you are not moral, so you don't get to be here. Jesus reveals himself as the Son of Man after they cast the blind man out, Jesus calls him to himself, and he tells the, the blind man, or the, the man who was blind, that he is the son of man, right? And this is an Old Testament term, uh, kind of alluding to the Messiah. And the blind, the blind man's response is to worship him. After that worship, there's this short exchange between Jesus and the Pharisees, and in John 9, chapter, uh, in John chapter 9, verse 39, it says, Jesus said, for judgment I came into this world that those who do not see may see and those who see may become blind. Some of the Pharisees near him heard these things and said to him, are we also blind? Jesus said to them, if you were blind, you would have no guilt. But now that you say we see, your guilt remains. And then he continues right into our passage for today. 
Truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door, but climbs in by another way, that man is a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. So the Pharisees understood that Jesus was saying that they were blind to the truth, and they took offense to it. And he responds to their arrogance and tells them they're guilty because of that arrogance, And then he goes right into this figure of speech about the shepherd where he compares them to thieves and robbers who, as explained in verse 10, come only to steal, kill, and destroy. So this is not just a wonderful metaphor, but it's also a rebuke to those Pharisees that have specifically, in this case of the blind man, misused their role as shepherds of God's people. That's, I mean, that's cool, right? But it's even cooler because open up to Ezekiel 34 or you can, well, nothing's on the screen. So uh, <laughs> so open up to Ezekiel 34. Uh, starting in verse 1, Ezekiel 34 says, The word of the Lord came to me. Son of man, prophesy against the shepherds of Israel. Prophesy and say to them, even to the shepherds, thus says the Lord God. Ah, the shepherds of Israel, who have been feeding yourselves, should not shepherds feed the sheep? You eat the fat, you clothe yourselves with the wool, you slaughter the fat ones, but you do not feed the sheep. The weak you have not strengthened, the sick you have not healed, the injured you have not bound up, the strayed you have not brought back, the lost you have not sought, and with force and harshness you have ruled them. 600 years before the blind man actually existed, before he was born, Ezekiel put these words down. And when the man was born, which Jesus tells us was so that he could display God's glory, the shepherds of Israel said he was a sinner who deserved his blindness. Jesus claims the title son of man, the exact phrase that's in Ezekiel, and is now rebuking the shepherds of Israel because they have cast aside the blind man. And as he does, he's fulfilling the prophecy of Ezekiel 34. That's pretty cool, right? It's even cooler. (laughs) So in chapter 7, Jesus returns to Jerusalem from the Feast of Booths, right? This a couple of weeks ago, we talked about his brothers, you know, saying like, oh, you should go to Jerusalem and start a revolution. And he was like, no, 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 no I'm not going to start a revolution. But then he goes and he teaches instead. Um, I'm paraphrasing. This is the Dietrich Bible as my father-in-law uh, wants to get a copy. Um, in chapter 7, he goes. He's in Jerusalem. He teaches at the temple. Um, the chapter 10, as we're looking at today, if, if we were going to verse 22, we didn't read it in the, the reading this morning. Uh, but in verse 22 is the Feast of Dedication. And between the Feast of Booths and the Feast of Dedication, there's a two-month span. So chapters 7, 8, and 9 are a glimpse of what's happening in those two months as Jesus was ministering between those two feasts. Now, there are some scholars who believe that Ezekiel 34 was actually being read in the temple during the time these chapters, 7, 8, and 9, took place. So as Jesus is saying these things to the leaders, they're reading verses like this in the temple. Uh, Verse 10 in Ezekiel 34 says, Thus says the Lord God, Behold, I am against the shepherds, 
and I will require my sheep at their hand and put a stop to their feeding the sheep. No longer shall the shepherds feed themselves. I will rescue my sheep from their mouths that they may not be food for them. For thus says the Lord God, behold, I myself will search for my sheep and will seek them out. And Ezekiel continues that the Son of Man will also judge the sheep and gather those who are his. And in verse 22, it says, I will rescue my flock. They shall no longer be a prey. And I will judge between sheep and sheep. And I will set over them one shepherd. Flip back to John. So we can see the same imagery. If we look at verse 16, John, John 10, 16 says, And I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also, and they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock and one shepherd. John 10 is not simply referencing a familiar metaphor that God used to describe himself. It is Jesus claiming to be the person that metaphor is describing. Isaiah, Ezekiel, and the Psalms, and and I mean, you know, all over, all talk of a shepherd to come. And Jesus stands before them and says, I am the good shepherd. Like really cool stuff. There's a ton going on in this passage. It's not just a familiar metaphor, but a claim by Jesus to be God. Like don't miss that. Jesus isn't just saying, I'm the good shepherd. He's saying, I am God. It's not just a rebuke, but one that was prophesied 600 years before. And it's not just something said to those there at that moment, but it's something for us here and now in this fold as we come together so that our faith would be increased and it would stir us to worship the Son of Man. And that's the way the Bible works, right? I mean, it's layers upon layers. You can study it and you can tear it apart and, and it's just fresh every time. And it's, it's rich with complexity, but at the heart is the simple truth of the gospel. And I was really encouraged this week. I mean, as I, as I dug into this and I saw how this passage fit into the biblical timeline and history and, and, the human, uh, the hum, and human history. I mean, just like where it fit in all these years and, and the tradition and the teaching. It was really encouraging. But the greatest comfort was just the, the simple truth that Christ speaks in the passage itself right to me. And the shepherd in this metaphor is really, really good, right? I mean, this isn't just like, you know, some gnarly looking guy who, who loves his sheep. Like, this is a really good guy who does way more for sheep than you really should. <laughs> so, <laughs> I'm sorry. I, I have these animated ship, uh, sheep gifts that are coming up, and I'm I just, they're not working. Did it close PowerPoint and then bring it back up? Try that. Uh, so I'm really concerned. I'm distracted. I, I really want you guys to see the sheep gifts. <laughs> so there's three things that stood out to me in regards to the shepherd. Number one, he knows and loves the sheep, right? I mean, he loves the sheep. Uh, verse three, it says, to him the gatekeeper opens, and the sheep hears his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name, and he leads them out. And when he was brought out all his own, he goes before them, and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. Yay. <laughs> uh, let's read that again. It says, verse 3, it says, To him the gatekeeper opens, the, ship hear, the sheep hear his voice, 
and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he's brought out all his own, he goes before them, and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. You know, we see here in this example the shepherd calling sheep by their name. You know, and, and there's a ton of YouTube videos. You can do a search, you know, uh, shepherds calling sheep, and they'll be like, you know, like, hala, bada, hala, bada. You know, or, or there's a lot of Norwegian ones. Like, I don't know. That probably didn't sound Norwegian because I <laughs> don't know how to speak Norwegian or whatever I just did. So, but they, they, they're calling the sheep, and they come, and, you know, I mean, it's, it's really cool to see. But they're not saying, hey, you know, Marcelo and, and Lorianne and Dar, you know, like they're not calling the sheep in and this is how Jesus calls us. And that's really cool. Um, think about that. Jesus knows your name. He calls you to come to him, not in some general open invitation, not like, hey, everybody come on in. No, he calls you by name. And he invites you in, in personally. And he calls you because he loves you and has a plan for you. And he's gone before you and prepared a path, right? We see in that verse that he, he goes before them. Ephesians 2.10 tells us, For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. I love this verse. I love this verse for, for so many reasons. I'm gonna, I kind of go off script just because I do love this verse. Because when Christ sets things before us, He's calling us to walk in them. There's no stress, right? I mean, you're just walking. You don't have to get ahead of yourself and run, and you don't have to be paralyzed with fear and stand still. He's set them before us, and you just walk with them through peace, just like Psalm 23 says. Okay, back on the notes. You are his workmanship, and he has set before you good works to walk in. He leads, he guides you, and prepares a way for you. And he does this with a purpose, not only because he loves you, but because he knows you. And he knows what's best for you. We look at verse 14 from today, chapter 10, verse 14. This is when Christ says, I am the good shepherd. And that statement is, I mean, there's a whole like seven I am statements and, and all of these things, which we just don't have time to get into today. But I encourage you guys to look at that personally, right? Do a, 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 a search on the I am statements of Christ in the, the New Testament. Uh, but he says, I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me, just as the Father knows me and I know the Father. You know, you can introduce yourself to someone and they know your name, right? They give you their name. Most of the time they forget it. I forget it. I mean, if I've met you guys and, and we've talked, like we could have had a great conversation and I'll know your situation on your face and I'll forget the name. There's something about when someone remembers your name that they really know you, that you, you have a piece of real estate in their mind. The creator of the universe knows your name. You have a piece of real estate in his mind. Uh, he says, uh, or he does that because uh, he knows you inside and out, right? Uh, the, if you look at verse 15, it says, just as the father knows me and I know the father, the relationship that you have with Christ reflects the relationship that he has with the Father, and that is a really cool relationship. I mean, without getting into the complexities of a, trinity, a God who is a trinity, you know, I mean, if you guys are new and, and this is foreign, just come up and talk to me afterwards, I'll, I'll explain it in more detail. But a God who is a trinity, it's not just like I know somebody else, it's like God is one and he is three. And there's this relationship that goes so far beyond 
even us knowing someone else. So the way that we know and, and, or the way that Christ knows us reflects that relationship. He knows us better than we know ourselves. It's more than just understanding you. It's more than accepting you. It's unconditional love. It's unconditional love. He's not surprised by any of the things that you've hidden from others. If you, look at, if you think of your life and the insecurities, the pains, the hurts, he already knows them. They're not a surprise to him. The bad habits that you have, I have them too. I'm not saying that judgingly. Uh, we all have bad habits. The awful thoughts that we think, the sins that we've committed in the past and the future, he knows them. He knows the sins that you are going to commit in the future already. At your worst moment, at the very depths of your depravity and rebellious, rebelliousness towards him, Jesus knew you. And he loved you and he called you by name. At the heart of this love is a desire to care and provide for the sheep. And I think to understand the shepherd's love, we need to see the sheep the way he does. So, so we have a little bit of fun that we're going to have. They're not, as some pastors and, and bloggers uh, currently like to say, uh, dumb and stupid. Right? You, you may be uh, thinking the things that you've heard of from sheep uh, previously is that while they are not, or when they're not drowning themselves in shallow pools of water, they're walking off cliffs together by the hundreds. <laughs> so so this, is a sh- this sheep knows how to play football with his <laughs> shepherd, right? So he's a little smart. Um, sheep are the most common animal mentioned in the Bible. Uh, Jesus is considered the Lamb of God. And this is a reference to his purity and perfection as a sacrifice for the sins of the world, right? So Jesus, when Jesus says, I'm the lamb of God, we're not saying Jesus is the dumb and stupid of God. It's not the way the Bible sees them. Thomas Watson is a Puritan preacher from the 1600s, and he wrote about sheep and how they're seen in scripture. A few of the things that he noted were, one, they're innocent creatures, right? They're not harmful or ravenous. (laughs) They're playing, right? (laughs) I questioned putting that gif on on that one. Uh, They're meek creatures, right? When you strike a sheep, they don't snarl, right? They they don't have a fight uh, reaction. This sheep is wagging his tail. I don't know if you can see this at the end, right? He's playing with the cat. And playing with a cat is a terrible thing, right? (laughs) And he likes it. He's wagging his tail. I'm just teasing cat people. Uh, Three, they're useful creatures, right? This one isn't animated because I thought it would be terrible to have an animated gif of that every part of the sheep can be used, the flesh, the fleece, and the skin, right? This would just do the skill of of taking the, the still shot of a fleece. They're also content creatures. They're content wherever you place them. Like, sheep, they're just happy to be noticed. They're just happy to to be where they're at and content with their circumstances. But they're also timid creatures. They're easily scared because they have no defense against the hunters, right? Sheep do not have sharp teeth or claws. This is really, really cute, right? (laughs) I mean, a dog, the shepherd dog feeding the sheep. Man. So, 
I, I feel like we just needed to take a moment and, and love sheep for a second to see how God feels about us. Because when we hear so often, and, and you know, there's truth, like, you know, they're animals, and, and animals don't have the faculty of human beings. So they're not as intelligent as human beings, but they're not dumb, they're not worthless. The shepherd doesn't see the sheep like that. He doesn't see the sheep as, as this responsibility, and, and they need the shepherd. He loves that they need him. He has a relationship with them. Uh, the, <coughs> excuse me, uh, the, uh, Jesus communicates this clearly in verse 10 when he says that he came so that he would have life or that we would have life and have it abundantly. Right, so Jesus communicates his purpose in the passage is that he's come as the good shepherd to give us life and that we would have that life abundantly. What does that mean? Right? Because abundant is, is, a, is a loaded term. Do you guys feel like you have an abundant life? <laughs> My wife does. Well, she's married to me. <laughs> I'm sorry. I mean, how else was I supposed to respond to that? <laughs> Um, Goldie Hawn, the pillar of wisdom and star of films such as Overboard and First Wives Club, talked about her trip to India. And she said, I noted that people are happy here in India. And when I went back home, people had everything in the materialistic sense and were surrounded with abundance, but they were not happy. Goldie sees the truth, right? We often forget it, that a life full of things does not make for a full life. This is a mistake that we often make when we read passages like verse 10. We're tempted to think that the passage is about material possessions and comfort when it's really, it's about life. Look at verse 10 again, right? We've got uh, the first kind of half of that, thief comes to only to steal, kill, and destroy. And the second half, Jesus says, I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. So, I came that they may have life and have life abundantly. This is not a call to live in abundance materialistically, but it's a call for us to live our lives out abundantly, to live life to the fullest in all circumstances. Paul tells us something similar in Philippians. Philippians 4, in, in verse 11, starting halfway through 11b, he says, for I have learned in whatever situation I am in to be content. I know how to be brought low and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Paul acknowledges that there are times of plenty and times of hunger, but he's found the source of living life abundantly. He's found the source of living life out to the fullest. And what's that source? Leaning on the one that he can do all things through that gives him strength. It's the abundant strength of the spirit that allows us to live life abundantly. Now, I know there are people here who are going through days of hunger and days of pain, days of suffering and confusion, I know the situations. Many of you have shared the details with me, so I'm not ignorant to that. And, and I want to encourage you, right? Uh, if we look at James in, verse, in chapter 1, verse 2, it says, Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, 
For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. And this is like this sounds like I'm saying, suck it up. Like, pull up your bootstraps, and, and you're going through a hard time, but you just need to have joy. And that's not what I'm saying. That's not what James is saying. Understand that our trials have purpose. And when we do understand that our trials are given from the Lord and that they have a purpose, it is an encouragement. And it's something that we have to be reminded to believe. And in the midst of the trial, it can be really, really difficult to remember that God loves you. And and for those of you that I know who are going through trials right now, I want to stand here very compassionately and sensitively remind you that God loves you. He isn't picking on you. He's not punishing you. In fact, he understands suffering better than we do, right? He understands pain. He understands grief. He understands poverty. Christ has given us the means to find joy in times of trial. And if if you're in a time of trial, then, then I want to remind you of those means, right? He's given us the word of God. As a shepherd who is provisioning and, and giving us the things to, to have an abundant life, the word of God is, is really close to the top of the list. I would probably put the spirit above the word of God. But, I mean, this is, these are close, right? I mean, the Holy Spirit, the word of God, like, how do you, how do you put that in place? Because a lot of times the Holy Spirit is speaking through the word of God. So can you even separate them? But the word of God is, is super important. Worship. God has given us worship. He's given us music, not so, you know, Kanye can pay off his $53 million, but (laughs) it's definitely not in my notes. Um, (laughs) But he's given us music so that we can worship. There's something about music. I mean, as I was sitting here today and and I'm thinking about the message and and the songs are coming up and just phrases and thinking like he, you know, uh, the, the song he'll... He'll never give up. He'll, he'll never leave us. I don't remember the specific lyrics, but I was just thinking, like, he's not the hired hand. He's not going to leave us. Um, worship is a wonderful means of helping you live life abundantly. Prayer. Right? We neglect prayer. It's, a, it's, a, it's not just a, you know, like the bat phone that we pick up when emergencies come in, but it's a way to align our hearts with God. The body of Christ is given to us so that we can live life abundantly. So stay and pray with us after service. Dig in and build relationships so that we as a body can be obedient to Romans 12, 15 that says, rejoice with us, with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. If you're going through trials, let us weep with you. Don't hold them to yourselves. We need to experience them as a body. And if you're going through joys, Don't be selfish with them. The body needs to hear that too. All of this provision is made possible through his protection. And that's that's the third point. The first glimpse of protection that we see in chapter 10 is in verse 3 where he leads the sheep out. And, And this is both provisioning and protecting, right? Because he's leading them, he's guiding them somewhere to provision, but he's also protecting them on the way to Uh, get that provision. And there's this relationship between protection and provision that's very intricate. But there's two points that are very clear protection that God gives. 
uh, or that Christ, the shepherd gives uh, as Jesus is going through this. And one is to the wolf, and the other is uh, to the hired hands, robbers, and thieves. And you may have been in a situation before where, you know, someone who was in authority over you abused you. They took advantage of you or fled when you needed their protection. And what Jesus is saying is they sinned. They acted inappropriately. It wasn't right. And and they were a bad representation of what the shepherd is supposed to be. And his protection there is to replace them. Right? So don't allow that to keep you from plugging in. Don't allow that to keep you from trusting other people. Don't allow that to keep you from trusting God in his provision. Whether, uh, whether they abuse you like the thieves and the robbers, and they tried to take something from you for their own gain, or they fled when times were tough like the hired hand, know that their sin has not gone unnoticed, and the Lord will take care of that. But Jesus is the good shepherd and wants to heal you from those hurts and bring you back into the safety of the flock. Sheep do not have defense mechanisms. Their only defense mechanism is to flock and and come together. So if you've allowed a bad shepherd to pull you out of the flock, you are in danger and and don't be there. The the shepherd is calling you back. Hear his voice and, and come back to us. All of us have been scattered by the wolf, right? I mean, his protection from the wolf is different than the the thieves, robbers, and the hired hands. Uh, The wolf, (coughs) excuse me, the wolf tries to scatter us when he attacks. Uh, Satan is the father of lies. The wolf represents Satan in this parable. Uh, I I mean, Jesus doesn't doesn't say that, but most commentators seem to to be along those lines as, as well. That was, I think, most people's first impression Uh, Satan is the father of lies, and he wants nothing more than to scatter the flock. And when the flock is scattered, it's full of fear, it's paralyzed and in danger. But five times in this passage, Jesus says that as the good shepherd, he will lay his life down for the sheep. He's willing to battle the wolf to the death in order to protect you. My wife said numerous times this week, isn't that crazy that someone would die for sheep? Like, I mean, outside of the metaphor, like just that a shepherd would die for his sheep. Like, who dies for a sheep? Like, she kept asking that. And I thought, you know, it's, it's a really good point when we start thinking about it outside of this passage. But he's saying, like, he's saying this is what he does. So, I mean, what Jesus does, what this shepherd does for his sheep is crazy. And we could ask the same thing, right? Why would God take time with us when we're made in his image? He doesn't see us the way we see ourselves. He sees us like we saw that little sheep being fed by the bottle. And he's like, oh, I love them. They're cute and they're they're innocent and I want to save them. These weren't just words spoken in bravado, right? When he said five times that I'm willing to die for the sheep, they weren't just like, yeah, I'm going to die for the sheep. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I don't know. I'm sorry, guys. In stark contrast to the shepherds in Ezekiel, right? If we go back to Ezekiel 34, I I don't have the slide for this, but in Ezekiel 34, there's a a section that it says that they slaughtered the fat sheep. Jesus was slaughtered so that the sheep could live. When Adam neglected his wife, 
and they rebelled against God, sin entered the world. And today we look out and we see terrorist organizations, we, we hear about economic woes, there's environmental decay, horrible insults are thrown at each other by the people that claim to be our leaders. There's racism, there's senseless violence, there's sickness, and there's death. These are the results that is at the, these are the results of a world that's rebelling against its creator. Right? When we look out and we see the world, nobody thinks this is the way that it should be. When we look at the world, we, we're disheartened and we think we have to do something. The fruit of sin causes pain and despair and loss. And really, I mean, right now, I, I, I look at the world. I mean, yesterday I was reading an article and, and just little things are terrible. Uh, you know, I mean, like a, a pair of twins that they took a sonogram and, and they're holding hands and one of them is going to die. Like one of them has a deformed brain and a hole in its heart and, and it's not going to survive. And the two little twins in the mommer are holding hands. And I think, man, that's so heart-wrenching. It's easy to see sin in the world. But it's hard to acknowledge that that same sin exists in our life. The harder thing to do is to identify that we all have the fruit of sin that we see out in the world in us. And the anger we feel when we're disrespected and we have a desire for vengeance, the thoughts we have towards others and desires to use them for our own fulfillment, we're completely self-absorbed with comfort and entertainment. These are the fruit of sin in our lives. And we're defenseless against it. Right? Like we're just like the sheep. We have no defense against sin. We don't have claws. We don't have uh, teeth. You know, we, we don't even really run that fast. <laughs> I mean, some of you guys might. I don't run that fast. But the good shepherd has good news. While we were scattered and paralyzed and in bondage of sin, he's stepped in and fought the wolf off. He's gathered us in his arms, he's carried us back to the fold, and he's killed the wolf. It no longer has any power over, over us. We don't need to defend ourselves because Christ has defended us. Our sin was placed on him, as Hebrews says, for the joy that was set before him. He endured the cross. That joy was you, right? He knew you. He knew the situation you're in and he sacrificed everything for you. And he knew that you were going to become worshipers of God and the joy of seeing people delivered from sin and reunified with God is the joy that he did all of this for. Three days later, he rose again. The debt of sin was paid in full. And it wasn't just a general covering of sin in the world but the very sin that held you in bondage. On the cross, he received the wrath of judgment for your specific sins so that he could call you by name and that you would respond with joy. The gospel and, and God's protection and provision is not a general call. It's a personal invitation. And I think when I see the shepherd and the relationship that he has with the sheep and the way that he sees the sheep, I just want to be reminded of that. And I want to be 
able to worship God because of it. So I'm going to pray and, and, and we'll have that opportunity. We'll be able to, to worship together. You've been listening to the weekly podcast of Covenant Grace Church, Menifee. If you would like to know more about the Menifee campus, visit us online at covgrace.org slash Menifee.